You're listening to DraftKings Network. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. I'm so mad we don't have audio of this. I don't know what we're going to do. Rudy Gobert, his long speech here about how the NBA is rigging it for all the teams except for his. It's okay, Tom. I got this. 12 years of French education have prepared me for this moment. Yeah. Here's what Rudy said. It's bullshit. Bullshit. It's not fair. It's really not fair. Every night I've been in this league for 10 years and I try to always give the benefit of the doubt. But it's hard for me to think they're not trying to help the team win tonight. It's hard for me to think they didn't try to help the Warriors the other night or the Sacramento Kings the other night. It's just so obvious. As a basketball player that's been in this league for so long, it's disrespectful and it sucks, to be honest. We work so hard to be in a position to compete with the best and we just get manipulated into those situations where it impacts the game for the other team too much. They know how to do it. They do it a lot of different ways. Tonight was another way of doing it, but it's all good. We understand it is also a business. Unfortunately, it's sad, but it's also good. It's really good, but it's true. We understand that we're not the biggest of markets and we're a team that I think you want to see KD in the playoffs, Steph in the playoffs, you want to see Luben James in the playoffs, <laughs> Timberwolves are not there yet. We got to keep putting our head down, keep playing through that, and it's frustrating for sure, especially for me. Zutalor! <laughs> I was waiting for him to consult Luben Patterson about his <laughs> exploits. <laughs> oh, God. God bless Rudy. <laughs> you know how you go to NBA games and there's the mascot and then they have like the inflatable, the wild, wacky, inflatable guy. And that's like the secondary mascot. The mascot for basketball Illuminati is obviously Kyrie, but the secondary inflatable mascot is Rudy Gobert. It's just so obvious, he says. Obvious. I mean, it is. The league for years has been rigging it for the Kings. I mean, they've been how many times to the playoffs in the last 16 years? I believe it was three collective bargaining agreements ago, Tom. It's so obvious. It's so obvious what's going on here. The year was 2006, Tom. The Blu-ray was just introduced. Beats by Dre headphones. The PlayStation 3 was coming out. Oh, yes. What a time. The NBA was experimenting with this thing called a luxury tax. Oh. <laughs> that was the first year of the luxury tax. But he's right, man. Like, there is definitely an anti-Rudy Gobert agenda out there. It is so obvious. For instance, think about it. When you make a basket right under the basket that someone spoon-fed you, how much does that count for? Two points. Right. Yeah, but if you shoot it from over there, it's all course, an extra point. For the players that shoot, how is it not obvious? How is it not obvious? It's an anti-Rudy agenda. It's so obvious. And if you look in the box score, I'm not seeing screen assists. I'm not seeing it. Mm-hmm. Talk about it. Do you know how much money Rudy Gobert would have and how many offensive awards he'd have and how many MVPs he'd have if 
screen assists were in the box score? It's bullshit. Oh, Nikola Jokic, you had a triple-double. You had the most triple-doubles of a center ever with regular assists. Okay, let's count screen assists. Now come back to me. How about that? Now we'll see who's MVP. Mm -hmm. It's just disrespectful. So obvious. It's so obvious. They had the flu run through the, the locker room the past week. Mm. I mean, the NBA, it's it's obvious what's going on there. Well, where do you think they got that oh, flu? Okay, okay. So there's, there's only a flu in Minnesota's locker room, but no other locker room in the league. Right. No other locker room in the league? Really? Really, league? It makes it so obvious. So obvious. The guy who was really responsible at the outset of the COVID pandemic, mm -hmm. what, is he touching microphones and trying to infect everybody in the reporter's room? Mm -hmm. It's just so obvious looking back. It's so obvious. All the times that Rudy Gobert was unfairly treated by the NBA. Rudy just agrees with us. It's just so obvious that there's a conspiracy in the NBA. There's a conspiracy. And, you know, the most obvious part, of course, is when they are clearly anti-small markets and they will do anything to hamstring the small markets, including prop up even smaller markets. Wow. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Keep your third eye open with me on this one, folks. They don't like Minnesota because it's a small market. So you know how the NBA works against that? They get a smaller market like Sacramento and they help them out. Mm-hmm. So obvious. What's going on here is they need not Anthony Edwards, who hasn't been in any movies or anything like that, to push mm -hmm. that star player, young player. They need Demonis Sabonis. They need Kevin Herter. They need those guys to be in the playoffs over anything that's happening in Minnesota. It's plainfully obvious. So obvious. It's just so obvious that the NBA doesn't value French players because there's no coveted French players out there. Mm -hmm. Rudy was undervalued coming into the league and they never treat French players with the respect they deserve. They haven't put any of Victor Wembanyama's games on their app, the NBA app. They haven't put any of those. It's obvious. There's no French players dunking their own three-point misses. That's so obvious. I asked my kids, hey, you guys excited for Victor Wembanyama? And they said, who? And I said, NBA agenda got to the kids included. Come on, man. It's so obvious. Open your third eye. Suppressing the TikTok algorithms. So obvious. I mean, it's so obvious. I mean, the Portland Trailblazers shut down this scrub, Damian Lillard, mm. so they could bring in Jonathan Williams. Nate Williams magically makes his NBA debut playing the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. They call him the ringer. Magically, Damian Lillard and Jeremy Grant get sat for guys like Shaquille Harrison, who was brought in on a 10-day contract just in time to play against the Minnesota Timberwolves. John Butler Jr., I've said it from the beginning. He's the best 21% field goal shooter of all time. And no one wants to agree with me. But you know what? Rudy Gobert has a point here. It's plainfully obvious that a team with Kevin Knox, John Butler Jr., Shaquille Harrison, Jabari Walker, and Jonathan Williams and Skylar Mays, juggernauts. It's bullshit. Bullshit. Painfully obvious that they rigged the spread of that Portland game, guys. 19 and a half point underdogs. That is the biggest upset since 1993 or something, according to ESPN stats and info. But really, they should have been underdogs, considering all the things that are stacked against them. It's not the biggest upset in the last 30 years. Obviously, they rigged that. Well, it's just so obvious they're trying to make the gamblers money, Tom. Mm-hmm. Third eye open. Rudy knows this. My assignment. Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience 
than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but... all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> This is Basketball Illuminati. I am Tom Haverstrow, and as always, I'm joined by the five-star generals of the Illuminati, the presidents of the Illumination, that's Amin El Hassan, and producer Anthony Mays, Rudy Gilbert. It's so obvious. We know that. Now we need to go into the CBA. The collective bargaining agreement has been agreed to in principle between the Players Association and the NBA. There is no lockout. There is no work stoppage. Tom, is this going to be like succession where all of a sudden there's not going to be a CBA next week because someone changed their mind at the last minute? Or is this a done deal? We'll find out all of that with our resident CBA expert, Keith Smith of Spotrack, going to join us on the program, our truth teller, to break things down in just a moment. But first... Are listening to the agenda with Tom Haverstrow and Amin El Hassan. Guys, the fat shaming has truly gotten out of hand. Zion? Oh no, 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 no! I'm not talking about Zion. Oh, sorry. The the other one. The other one? Yeah, Raymond Felton. What? Sorry, not Raymond Felton. Kenny Lofton Jr. got called up. No man, hey, he's not fat. He's just big boned. That's fat praising. When we talk about Kenny Lofton Jr. Yeah. It's not shaming. Listen to what the Hawks fans did the other night with Luka Doncic at the line. That sounds like they are wanting what they could have had. A nice meal? They got skinny little Trey Young instead. They could have had the big bone Luka Doncic. Oh. They're fat shaming their ex is what you're saying? Is it even their ex? The one that got away. Yeah. I think it's the one that got away. Yeah. And never quite got him in the building. He couldn't fit. Yeah. Chick-fil-A wouldn't have necessarily been the best thing uh, for Luka Doncic. The world of Coke. He'd just be doing backstrokes around, around in a huge swimming pool full of Coca-Cola. Welcome to the land of CNN and Coca-Cola. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like right now the fat shaming might be too much for... Luka Doncic and the Mavs. It might have sent them over the edge because according to Shams Charania, guys, the Mavericks are seriously considering shutting down Luka and Kyrie. With every passing day, they run out of precious time to make up this gap between them and the Thunder, which isn't insurmountable. But when you look at what they've done recently, losing seven of their last 10 games, 
losing 10 of their last 13 games. Dare I say it, boys, Wednesday, April 5th, they're scheduled to play the Sacramento Kings. That'll be tonight as of the release of this podcast. That's their season. If they lose that one, it is over. But is it? Because it seems, I mean, that there's some complications to their future. Because of the Chris Stapps Porzingis trade, they sent a first round pick yes. to the New York Knicks that is top 10 protected. I mean, there it is, Tom. And there you have it. It is top 10 protected, meaning the only way this pick does not go to New York is if Dallas makes sure they are terrible in these next few games they don't have to win the lottery they just have to have one of the 10 worst records in the league hey tom would you like to know what the lottery order is as of right now by win percentage what is it i mean number one detroit they have the worst record in the league number two houston number three san antonio number four charlotte Detroit, Houston, and San Antonio all have equal odds of being in the top four. Portland, five. Indiana, six. Washington, tied with Orlando at seven. Utah is at nine. And wouldn't you know, the 10th team of them all, the Dallas Mavericks. The 11th team, by the way, is Oklahoma City. The 12th team is Chicago. Hey, Tom. Yeah. Does Dallas play Chicago anytime soon? Oh, I'm just looking at my little handy pocket calendar that I always keep on me. You know, sometimes I do the fridge magnet. The fridge magnet one is my favorite. Yep. But the one that fits in your pocket on all 30 teams, basketball, Illuminati, keep your third eye open and a foldable schedule in your pocket, in your back pocket. Chicago on Friday, April 7th. Wow, look at that. Mm Mm-hmm. Huh. And so for Dallas to sit out Luka and to drop these three games would all but guarantee for them that their pick stays home. Here's the cool thing, too. According to John Hollinger points out the hilarious possibility, he writes, of a tiebreaker knocking the Mavs out of the play-in, but also lost the coin flip with the same team also handing a lottery pick to New York. Here's how it breaks down. If the Mavs tied with OKC for 10th in the West, the Thunder would win the tiebreak. However, provided the Thunder lost in the play-in round, there would also be a coin flip, I mean, maze between Dallas and OKC. Yes. For which team had the higher pick in the draft? Hollinger writes, suppose that tie was for the 10th worst record overall. The Thunder could conceivably win that coin toss, push Dallas down to 11th on the draft board, and off goes the pick to New York. That is quite the weighted coin. I hope it's 50-50. For a lot of people who don't know, the tiebreaker for tied records in the lottery is not your head-to-head or any of the things we use for the playoffs. It is what Tom just said. It's a coin toss. So that scenario where Oklahoma City beats them on a play-in tiebreaker and then beats them again on a lottery tiebreaker is very possible unless Dallas does what? So obvious. Make sure it loses. The best way to do that is to take the player who consumes 38% of your possessions, to take the player who assists on 43% of all made field goals when he's on the floor, to take the player who averages 32 plus points per 36 minutes. You're talking about Christian Wood here? Uh, close. Get out of the woods and into the Doncic. Sit Luca, secure your future, and perhaps even perhaps have a chance at getting that coveted center that Mark Cuban has been hunting for for years. 
whether it was Dwight Howard, whether it was Clint Capella, whether it was DeAndre Jordan. Jordan. Go through all those guys and get the best of them all. A number one overall pick in Victor Wembanyama. So, I mean, Mays, Shams is reporting here that the Mavs are seriously considering tanking, pulling out Luka. Oh, no, sorry. It says here he has a thigh injury. And Kyrie Irving says here he has a foot injury. Mm. And that they're just going to pack it in and make sure they get their 2023 pick. That is top 10 protected. But I ask you, is that better? Getting that 23 pick? Because remember, it pushes that Knicks pick to 24 and 25, which means because of the Stepien rule, they can't trade 26, but they can trade 27. Mm -hmm. So if they do get the lottery pick this year, they tank, that's great, but they can only package that with a 2027 first rounder, okay? So you can get the 23 and the 27 and package that to try to bring in a star this offseason. Tim Hardaway Jr.'s contract, Davis Bertans' contract, maybe that's like $36 million worth of salary, flotsam that you could throw into a trade for another star and package it with 23 and 27. But if they don't tank and if they do get into the play-in and do get into the playoffs or they do get the 11th pick, the Knicks get the 23, but that frees up the 24 and 26. So my question is, what is the goal here for the Dallas Mavericks going forward? Which package is juicier for the Mavericks to trade, to float out there into the NBA ether? The 23 and the 27 or the 24 and the 26? I would say the 23 and the 27 because there's not going to be another Luka Doncic-led team that falls into lottery. Think about that. What we know about the 23 is it's a top 10 pick. Yep. If they end up keeping the 23 pick, the only way they can trade it is after they consummate it. Meaning whatever happens in the lottery, this pick stays at 10 or nine or moves up because it could be one, two, three, four, or wherever they end up. We're assuming they end up nine or 10, wherever it is. They have to actually select a player and then they can trade because the Stepien rule is forward looking. Meaning once the draft has happened, it doesn't matter. I can trade the next immediate pick. So because the 2024 would then be owed to the Knicks, top 10 protected, of course, they could then turn around and trade their 2023 pick the day after the 2023 draft and then package that with a future 2027. I still think that's a better, more likely scenario for value for the Mavericks because I would think the conventional wisdom is they're not going to be in the lottery that much longer as long as Luka Doncic is a Dallas Maverick. Right. So you're locking in that you're going to get a lottery talent. Mm -hmm. And then maybe we'll see what happens with 2027. Yes. Could explode. Luka Doncic could be a Laker. He could be wherever Gohan Dragic is at that point in 2027. I mean, you seem so confident that the Mavericks will not be back in the lottery, but they acquired Kyrie Irving and nosedived right into the lottery. Right. And now we get to talk about is Kyrie Irving coming back for another year of this circus, or is he just going to walk out the door and leave them with a massive cap hole? to fill with whatever they can get. So that doesn't seem like the most certain future to me. Well, the thought process is the Dallas Mavericks with Luka Doncic and money to spend can build a team that is playoff bound. What happened to them in the second half of the season after the trade 
was indicative of they didn't answer their needs. Or I should say, they answered a need by creating new needs. Meaning, they answered the need for a secondary score type, but then they created a huge need for depth and a huge need for defense by virtue of losing the guys that they lost. Yeah, they took the bubble gum that was plugging a hole and said, oh, mm-hmm. let's plug this hole over here with the same bubble gum. Yep. Except they took gum from multiple holes to fill in this one hole and then had everything else spewing out at them. I'm here to chew bubble gum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubble gum. I'm here to chew bubble gum and solve roster deficiencies and I'm all out of gum. Well, who is going to be that guy? Who is going to be the guy that fills those holes for the Dallas Mavericks? Because I'm looking at the contracts of guys that they can trade for with that package, the 23, the 27 and cap space or the contracts of Tim Hardaway Jr. and Davis Bertans. Christian Woods deal is going to be gone. Could they get DeAndre Ayton to fill that void? I don't know. Perhaps. Pascal Siakam? Is it Carl Anthony Towns? He creates more problems, I think, for them. What do you mean? It's so obvious that he's amazing on defense. He's going to have a speech at practice that gets everyone riled up. Well, here's the thing. We got to start with, at this point in time, the Mavericks, if Kyrie does not return, can have a maximum of about $30 million in cap space. It's not enough to get a max guy. So do they operate as an above-the-cap team by not renouncing anybody and try to combine some of these guys who are under contract, like a Tim Hardaway Jr., like a Davis Bertans, to go out and get somebody? Or do they renounce and take a dip in the market? It'll be interesting. For instance, Draymond Green is a guy who's got a player option. So can you go out and acquire Draymond Green, have him opt in his deal, give him an extension on that deal, and then turn around and try to acquire someone else. I don't know. There are other options out there. Jeremy Grant is unrestricted free agent. Fred Van Vliet has a player option. Gary Trent Jr. has a player option. They've got options out there. No pun intended. They've got ways they can be creative about this. But to answer May's question, I think that if you have Luka Doncic and you have flexibility as the Mavericks do, you're going to build a playoff team. The question becomes, will Luka Doncic be a Dallas Maverick in 2025, 2026, 2027? So if I'm a team dealing with the Mavericks, I want the 2023 because, well, I know it's a lottery pick. Yep. It already happened. They drafted the guy, whatever. And the 2027 is far enough in the future where I'm like, look, anything could happen. The guy could want to leave by then or he could eat himself out of the league or whatever it is. There's enough uncertainty there in the future and there's enough certainty in the present. The 24, 25, and 26, that's where you're in that middle phase. And to my money, especially for 24 and 25, I'm betting that a Luka Doncic-led team is not going to be this bad again. Well, we do know that LeBron James loves Luka Doncic. We do know that if he could team up with anybody in the league, oh, it's that guy. Well, that's a trade I didn't see coming. Or did I? Because my third eye's open and we talked about it already, Tom. That was All-Star Draft we talked about that. So that was literally two months ago almost. Hmm. Why are we talking about that now? Has it gotten legs anywhere? Well, I do believe that our friend Bill Simmons floated this concept on his recent podcast with Kevin Wilds. We got the sound, right, Maze? You got the sound? This is getting complicated today, guys. I don't think I can play this. We'll have to find a workaround. Oh, no, I got this. I got this because I've been reading Bill Simmons since I was in college and basically have read and listened to everything he's ever done. Page two, Tom. 
half big prediction for Draymond next season. I think he ends up in Dallas. If Kyrie and Luka and LeBron tries to get there eventually, that's my prediction. Kyle, put this on my list of predictions. Yeah, I don't know, it just feels like a Dallas scent. It's just some Dallas stuff that feels kind of scenty to me. It's kind of what they need. Bronny hasn't picked a college yet. Think he's going to factor into LeBron possibilities too? USC? Lakers? Somewhere outside LA? That's going to make me think, hmm, LeBron's going to go ring chase. And if you're ring chasing, you're going to make a list of the best five guys in the league. And it starts with Luca. I have a scent. Uncanny, by the way. Uncanny. It's like I'm sitting with Bill right now. It's just in me. I mean, it's the, it's the New Englander in me. You need more recognition for that, Tom. Hey, there's a whiff. If there's a whiff, you're playing with a bar. There's a whiff of Luca, Draymond, Kyrie. I think that's really interesting is the idea. Can they all just go to Dallas? We were thinking this was going to be in L.A. Kyrie was going to say, screw this. I'm going to L.A. Psst, on the way out, Luca, demand your trade. Come with me. They've got cap space this summer. They signed Draymond. Maybe Anthony Davis gets traded for Luca. That way, Mark Cuban isn't left out in the cold. He gets his superstar player. And then in LA, they got LeBron, they got Bronny, they got Kyrie, Draymond, and Luca. That makes a lot of sense. But what about Dallas? You know what's scenty about that? A 40-year-old LeBron, a declining Draymond Green, who's opted out of his player option to sign a presumably bigger deal with Dallas, because that's the only way he's turning that down. Luca and Kyrie, which have proven to be a defensive sieve, and Bronny. I would like to sign up for Dallas's future picks. Oh, so you're going the other way. Yeah. Senti, foul, smelly. I kind of love Draymond's fit next to Luca. I love this idea because when you talk about what does Luca need next to him, you need another distributor. Luca doesn't have to do everything for your offense. They are bottom three, bottom five in fast break points. They're bottom five in defense. They're bottom five in second chance points on both ends of the floor. They just don't rebound. Draymond fills an enormous hole for them. He does the things that you need. A leader, a fiery guy who can step to everybody in the league. Mm -hmm. He's a distributor. He gets out in the open break. Defense. Luka doesn't want to run. Draymond wants to run. So he can run that initial break. And then Luka comes back. Oh, no. We just stopped the Draymond break. And now we got to deal with Luka. I love Draymond Green as a fit next to Luka. My worry is, of course, the age. And then to Maze's point, you're getting a 40-year-old LeBron and you're handing the keys to the franchise to Bronny and LeBron. But at the same time, if that makes Luca happy, you make Luca happy. If it makes Luca happy, it can't be that bad. If it makes Luca happy, then why the hell is Bronny so sad? I don't know. That seems a lot of cat machinations to get Kyrie, Draymond, LeBron, Luca all on the same team. What is the NBA going to look like cap wise going forward? Will Mark Cuban pony up the money creating the next super team in Dallas? Is he even going to have these little levers to pull in the next CBA Lots of questions. We're going to try to get as many answers as we can with Keith Smith over at Track, friend of the program. We're going to talk to Keith here in Truth Tellers. Remember the best vacation you've ever taken? Make your next one even better with Get Your Guide. With Get Your Guide, you can book over 100,000 unforgettable experiences in the U.S. and around the world. Want to see the Grand Canyon from a helicopter? They got you. 
Watching a wrestling match in Mexico City? No problem. Or how about a guided tour of Rome's ancient ruins? Wherever you're going, whatever you're into, book your next travel experience at getyourguide.com. You all think I'm late. Well, I'm not late. And I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause, even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And the tailors and all their armies come marching into this place. Somebody will listen to me. There's no better way to overpower a trickle of doubt than with a flood of naked truth. But the complexity in the grave lie not in the truth, but what you do with the truth once you have it. What is true and right is true and right for all. You and I both know that that's just not the truth. You can't handle the truth! It's too messy. Keeps them up nice. I'm here because in the end, the truth is worth the risk. Speak a little truth and people lose their minds. I'm a grown man, you can tell me the truth. Why is it people who want the truth never believe it when they hear it? So you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do something really outrageous. I'm gonna tell the truth. This is a real treat for listeners right now. I don't know if people realize this, but a lot of people will attribute the Orlando bubble and the resumption of the NBA season during a pandemic to Adam Silver, to Bob Iger, maybe to the players. But I think the true hero in all this is our guest, Keith Smith of Track. He is the one who came up with the idea and wrote about it well before it was announced, why Walt Disney World would be the ideal spot for the NBA to salvage its season, dated April 16th, 2020. So here he is, Keith Smith himself. Thank you for bringing us basketball during the pandemic. Sure, I'll take it. Hey, I mean, I'll take any credit where I can get it. Boy, talk about a once in a lifetime crossing of my two worlds that I never thought would happen. And let's keep fingers crossed, knock on wood, do what we're going to do that. It never is necessary again. <laughs> you are a cap guru, someone who's covering the Celtics for a very long time. You're at Spot Track now where you're writing articles and using the tools, the amazing menu of tools at Spot Track that have contract data cap data for every team going forward. I really like some of the, the smaller tools, fines and suspensions when I do a lot of the referee tracking. It's always nice to see like, oh, this is the list of players who have had technicals or any sort of officiating fines or any fines by the league. It's just a really great resource and your articles are always, always appreciated to kind of make sense of it all. So thanks for that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's a work of a couple people on the team, myself and a guy named Scott Allen, who, you know, I shout him out more on social media, but he doesn't have any. He, he doesn't live in that world. He's smarter than the rest of us. Right? He <laughs> stayed away from social media, but he, he does great work with all that stuff. Your latest piece, looking at the news out of the CBA and the ramifications for the NBA going forward, we've got some of the details in the new CBA. The big headline is we got a deal. We don't have a work stoppage. That's great. So what are the other things that you've seen so far that matter to the NBA fan at home? What is a 120% extension max? Why does that matter going from 120 to 140? What are the big headline takeaways that you're seeing so far from the news that's trickling out? I think the overall is without going to a hard cap, which was 
probably never going to happen. I had folks tell me on both sides that if the NBA had insisted upon that, we would be headed towards a lockout because they were not going to budge. They were not going to give them that. But outside of that, they have basically put some restrictions, pretty heavy ones on the most expensive teams. They're calling it the second luxury tax apron, which for me is far too cumbersome and dumb. So I'm just (laughs) calling it the super tax. And I'm going to force that into the lexicon that they are a super tax team. Because I think if you think about it, yeah, well, Warriors are a super tax team. Okay, cool. I get that immediately. I know what that means. So what they've done is put restrictions on those teams, but left it so that, hey, if you draft and develop well and you want to pay all your guys, you can still do that. You can keep those players. You're not going to lose them because of some artificially set hard cap line. You can keep all your guys, but you're not going to be able to add outside talent through adding salary and trades and adding guys through exceptions and the like. We're going to really limit you if you keep all your guys and you get super expensive to minimum contracts, to signing your own draft picks and the like. And then hopefully, and I say hopefully with some skepticism that'll turn and turn that talent through beefed up exceptions and spending abilities for the lower teams that are not quite as expensive. We'll see if that's how it turns out. I kind of have my doubts. I think cheap teams will stay cheap. I don't know that they're all of a sudden going to be okay. Let's start spending all the way up to the tax and maybe we'll dip our toes into this. I don't know that that's how we'll go, but that's what they've done is try to achieve kind of that parity and that balance, I think, between those two sides. Before we get into the specifics of different bullet points, I want to read to you something I'm sure you're familiar with. Draymond Green's initial reactions broadcast to the world via Twitter. And I quote, players lose again, shake my head, middle and lower spectrum teams don't spend because they don't want to, they want to lose. So increase their spending capabilities, just increase them. They continue to cut out the middle. And this is what we rush into a deal for. Shake my damn head, never fails. He goes on to say, never seen someone go to a table with the assets that make the entire machine go and lose every time, blasphemous. And then when responding to hearing that the prize money for the championship team of the in-season tournament would be 500k per player he said what happened to the one mil they said when this idea was first introduced sheesh we lost 500k there too (laughs) and finally he ends with i have a lot more to say about this guess i'll save it for the pod i was excited a deal about to get done trash (laughs) one do you agree with draymond that this was a terrible deal for the players and two why do you think he was so adamantly anti this deal the second question i think is easier to answer because it directly impacts him and the team he's on yeah you have cut out the ability for his team to continue to do what they've done over the last several years which is add players to that mix like dante divincenzo this year if these rules are in place this past summer they wouldn't have been able to sign him If we go back a few years and they were in place, they wouldn't have been able to add Andrew Wiggins because they took on some salary in that trade. That's not something they'd be able to do. So I think he's looking forward to, hey, if this is fully phased in and I'm still here, I'm not going to be able to have as good a team with me out there on the court in Golden State. I think he reacted just like all of us did to the first initial few reports, Mm -hmm. which the first initial few reports were, hey, we made it hard on these really expensive teams. And that's really kind of where it was left with that in the in-season tournament. The following day, it came out of, hey, here's what we're going to push into the middle tier teams to make it better for them. 
And then we got the reports of, hey, here's some new investment vehicles, endorsement vehicles that are open to players that weren't open before. So I think when you look at the total picture, it has a chance to be, I think, a pretty good deal for both sides. I think there were some things they did that are good changes. If I was making the decision myself, I would have gone a little further. I think they just didn't go quite far enough with some of those, the extension rules and those kind of things. But I think it's not as bad as it looked on its face off of the first couple reports because of the way this information was leaked was really poor, in my opinion, where it was just, you know, oh, man, we just didn't get a lot of details right away. These drips and drabs of this coming out made it hard to see the total picture. Hey, Keith, does this super tax get put into this CBA if the Celtics win the NBA finals last year and we didn't have Brian Winhurst calling it a checkbook win on national TV and creating a firestorm out of the idea that the Golden State Warriors bought a championship. If the Celtics win that series or if the Warriors don't even get to the NBA finals, are we talking about this super tax right now? Yeah, it's a fair question. I don't know. Maybe not. It might have been one of those things where, hey, it didn't matter. Look, they spent a bunch of money. I know there's a bunch of people in the league who are like, look at the Clippers every year. They spend a crap ton of money. Yeah. And they don't win. They haven't won anything. Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And or though, I think what it is, is right. We're always scared of the what could happen sometimes more than the what is actually happening. And I think what a real fear of some of the ownership groups, some of the people who are running the NBA itself is, hey, we need to be careful because in our soft cap world, we could turn into a version of Major League Baseball or a version of the Premier League where there are five or six teams that can just outspend everybody. And even when they make poor decisions, they spend their way out of those poor decisions because they just have more money coming in. Like you always laugh with Steve Ballmer when, you know, people are like, man, the Clippers are paying a big tax. Yeah. And that's cool. He paid it with the money that fell out of his pockets in his car. He doesn't care. He just wants to have a good team that's competitive. He'll just keep spending and keep spending. So I think it's one of those things where they wanted to address what might happen versus, hey, what's really happening? Because as great as the Warriors run has been and as cool as it was to see them come back around and get back on top again last year. And we'll see how the rest of this season goes for them. We're on the clock with that. I think we all know two, maybe three more seasons on the top end. We're going to get out of them as a high level team. And then they're going to become like everybody else and probably reset. The one to me that I think is a little more interesting is, is the Clippers, because what they could do is let's say they do start winning. And then all of a sudden it starts turning into, all right, we're down to the last year of a contract for a couple guys making 50 million. Let's turn them into two guys who make 60 million. Mm. And that's how you keep rolling it forward. And they never come back to the pack. And now, essentially, under this new setup, that's going to be harder to do. So I think they're protecting it something that could happen versus something that is actually a real problem right now. Speaking of real problems right now, there was a time there where Harden wanted out and Ben Simmons wanted out and all of these franchise players wanted out. And there was a rumbling that, oh, the owners are going to. They're going to react to this. How surprised are you that there was nothing that really addressed the movement of players that's happened over the last few years, particularly players who are under contract for several more years, aren't impending free agents? I'm going to step on my soapbox here for a second with this. For some reason, collectively, a lot of the media and most of the fans have decided it's perfectly fine when a team decides it's not working and they want to trade a player. 
but the player doesn't have that same agency because you signed a contract. Well, so did the team. And I get why it's okay, right? We root for laundry, right? We root for the team. The team is the stable thing. The guys are going to change every so often. So we're going to root for the team. So I think what happens in this situation is I don't know that they hate it as much as they pretend they do Mm -hmm. because, hey, every time a guy asks for a trade, that's a whole new cycle you get to own, especially if it's a star player. And I think the other piece is it's really hard because very rare is it you get a player in an interview with a member of the media that says, yes, I want to trade. I hate it here. Get me out of here. I want to go. That's what once every 20 years we get one of those. So what happens is. How are you going to police it? Because it's, well, who said he wants a trade? We didn't say that. You know, where's this coming from? They could have locked into things where it's, all right, hey, you sign a super max deal for the first three years of it. You're not tradable or until you're over halfway through the deal or something. They could have put that language in, but I think that would have restricted both sides too much. And I think one thing they're very cautious of, hey, let's not put teams in a tough position if they're the ones who want out of this deal. Mm. So I think that's why they probably didn't push for it as hard, despite the fact that everybody likes to, when one of these comes up, say, yeah, you know, that's not really good. We don't really want that. It's it's kind of almost like tampering in a way where it's like, boy, tampering's a real problem, but then we continue to do nothing about it that's impactful. Mm-hmm. So I think it's to let it all kind of go. The reason why I think people felt that way is because the owners in the past have pushed for things that they thought would help keep talent. And so that leads us, Tom, to a very nice transition here to my favorite part of CBA Talks, Unintended Consequences. (laughs) That's right. It's the game show where you think you want this thing, but in the Faustian bargain, it ends up being a lot worse for you than you ever imagined. Like, for instance, hey, when we do sign in trades, we shouldn't let them take their bird rights and be able to get that fifth year. We should take that all the way. That way they'll want to stay here. All that meant was I don't have to sign and trade for you anymore. I could just sign the guy straight up and I don't have to give you anything mm-hmm. like the way the Miami Heat had to give up draft picks to get LeBron and Chris Bosh in a heat uniform back in 2010. So I ask you, there's a little soothsaying here, but looking at the things that have just happened, what kind of unintended consequences can you see down the road? I'll rip off a handful of them for you pretty quickly. Rip them off. I think the idea of of the super tax teams not being able to take on money in trades, they have to send out the same amount as they take back or bring back less than they send out. I think what you're going to see is it's time to resign a player. 20 million is about right. Let's sign them for 30. Because then we can go trade for a $25 million player because we've got them for 30. 30 is not a tipping point that it's now a bad contract. So let's give them a little bit more money. Mm -hmm. In general, hey, this is me, Mr. Salary Cap, Mr. CBA talking. I don't like boiling players down to a salary number on a spreadsheet. It always feels a little gross to me. It feels a little less gross when they're getting 30 million. I I think they'll (laughs) be just fine. You're right. They can dry their tears about it with $100 bills and be okay. You know, in this situation, it turns into, You're going to see some of that. You're going to see some contracts given out specifically to turn that player into a bigger trade asset salary-wise. I think the addition of a third two-way contract sounds good, right? Let's beef this process up. We've seen a lot of success and guys come through these two ways and become really good players, good rotation guys. And one of them, Austin Reeves, is about to really cash in in free agency and make a lot of money. And I think if you talk with enough people and I have a bunch of the agents, especially the guys who are 
roster filler type players at the end of rosters who are going to tell you they stopped signing 15th players on a lot of these teams because I don't need them. I'll just fill with my two-way guy. I don't need a 15th player in there. Mm. I mean, the Celtics just sat on an open roster spot for months and are only filling it because we're down to the end of the season and it's, hey, let's get one more guy in here while we can. Now, we don't know because we don't have all the details. I hope they put in some form of protection of, hey, you can sign a third two-way player as long as you filled your 15th roster spot. Then you get that extra bonus roster spot in form of a two-way. So we'll see if that's how that comes out. But I think that's you know a couple that immediately come to mind for me with these things where it's, this may not go exactly the way you were hoping it would in this situation because you're going to see some of the stuff. I think team-wise, an unintended consequence is it sounds great to say, hey, super tax teams, you can still re-sign all of your guys and keep all of your guys. But ultimately, you're going to have teams that are going to come down to it and be like, now we got to get our books in order. We got to get more flexibility. So we got to let that guy go. That's not new. That's something that's happened forever. But now it's not just because the team's getting too expensive. Now it's going to be, we have way too many restrictions on us as far as adding outside talent. So we're going to let one or two guys go and kind of bring this thing back in line and go. So we'll see. And I worry that by taking away that taxpayer mid-level exception, so what Dante DiVincenzo signed for, what John Wall signed for, what Danilo Gallinari, Joe Ingles, all those guys signed for is, it sounds great to say, well, those guys would have signed with a mid-tier team for a chunk or the full mid-level. I'm not sure that that's how that's going to go. I think what you might have done was you might have taken two, three, four of those taxpayer mid-levels from those expensive teams that are willing to take on that extra salary out of the mix now, and it's just going to be filled by a minimum salary player instead, and those guys aren't going to make it up somewhere on the back end. Those are the things that I'm a little bit worried about with those specific changes. Add one to that list. This 65-game provision or qualification is going to be an unintended consequence of, I think the 82-game season is now going to be a 65-game season. I think players are going to look at this, oh, you're officially making the 65 game season for us. Now I'm going to get to 65 games and then the next 17 games, I'm just going to coast. You're making, you're incentivizing me to get to that 65 number. And then you know what? I'm going to take the next month off or the next couple weeks off before the postseason. Yes. Players are going to want to win MVP and be incentivized to play a little bit more. But I think by the NBA and the union coming to agreement on a 65 game requirement for these all league awards, MVP, Depoy, all NBA, it's crystallizing the fact that stars don't play 82 games anymore. All they really need to play is 65 to make the NBA happy. And to the fans, it feels like to me, the last month of the season is going to be a lot of backwash. I think it could be. I also don't think it changes anything as far as, right, I'm based out of Orlando. Lakers come through here once a year. And for a while, was LeBron hadn't played in Orlando for the time he was on the Lakers. And Laker fans would get angry because it's, man, I bought these tickets and I didn't get to see LeBron. This is ridiculous because of load management. That's not going to change. There's still only roughly 14 back-to-backs per team. You can still sit all those veteran guys and all those back-to-backs and be okay. I'm kind of withholding full judgment on this 65-game thing because all the reporting around it is it's always tagged with with certain conditions. So I'm 
curious to see what are those conditions. I know Baxter Holmes did some reporting. Tom, you sent this to me today, and then I was able to read the article around. For it to count, you can't check into the game, have tip off, commit a foul, and go. Yeah. And my night's over. <laughs> the true holiday. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's not going to count. I think they're also worried about people in the gambling companies get word of that. People are going to bet, hey, bet the heavy under on LeBron tonight because he's only going to play a minute and he's going to be out. And then all of a sudden you're cashing in on those. So I think they're very conscious of that. But I think it's also let's not turn these games into a farce where five guys do the tip off, one commits a foul and they all sub out and then that's it for the night. But I think we may see and I've heard that there's some thought around one of the proposals. And I don't know if it got through or not because we haven't seen the actual term sheets or never mind the CBA itself. There was a thought out there of if you legit are injured, you roll an ankle and you're going to be out for three games, what counts towards your threshold of allowable missed games or whatever is the first game. And then the next two, because you're legitimately injured, we're not going to ding you for those. But I don't know if that got in or not. So I'm very curious to see what are all these qualifications. Right. Because what we don't want to have is. This week, a year from now, a player is legitimately hurt that's on a playoff team, but man, I'm pushing because I need to be eligible for an award, and sometimes that award makes me eligible for a better contract. They go out and play, make an injury worse, and now they're out for the playoffs. Nobody wants that. Right. So hopefully there's some form of guardrails that protects everybody on this. We'll ultimately have to see. But yeah, that one's a little weird. Baxter Holmes reporting. For those who are listening and don't know, players must play 20 minutes per game for it to count as a game, except in two of the 65 games, a player can play between 15 and 20 minutes, and it will still count, sources said. So it reminds me of the Anthony Davis end of... Pelicans tenure. The league says you got to play him. <laughs> you got to play him. And he played the first stint in the first quarter, first stint in the third quarter, and then he was done for the night. So if you look at the game log from February 12th to March 24th, Anthony Davis, a superstar player for the New Orleans Pelicans, who'd switched agents and just about had one leg out the door, had played between 15 and 24 minutes and sat in every fourth quarter during that stretch. So that's what I worry about, is that there's going to be a loophole here that teams are going to try to work their way around it. I don't think it's going to be an epidemic of 20-minute games, but I do think there's ways that they will get around this or essentially fudge the numbers a bit so that they can qualify. Amin, you mentioned potential unintended consequences that emerge from previous CBAs. It seems like with the 65-game limit, they're trying to address load management, saying you need to play at least 65 games. As Tom pointed out, there's the minutes requirements, minimum requirements. But then they introduced the midseason tournament, <laughs> and it doesn't seem that there's necessarily any requirements to play in the midseason tournament. So they've added games to the schedule, and it's very possible those games will be load managed. So, Keith, how does that square up with everything else that is seemingly presented by this new agreement? I don't think it does, right? I mean, that's the simple answer is it seems like we're working in a weird push-pull here that's not heading in the same direction with this. The whole in-season tournament, one, people don't like anything that's different. So people are going to instantly go to it's bad. I don't like it. I don't like to play in tournament, right? People screamed and yelled about that. And now... I don't know anybody who doesn't like to play in tournament. Everybody I talked to is like, this thing's awesome. Yeah. This is as close as we get to March Madness in the NBA. Let's go. We want this. Two, I think in general, 
you put something to win in front of really competitive people, they're going to want to win it. You know, it's going to be, all right, hey, if we got to do this, we might as well win it. You know, I've talked to a handful of guys not to bring back up the whole bubble stuff again, but leading into that when people are like, why do players want to play in this? Why does LeBron and Steph Curry and all these guys who make $40 million, why do they care about playing in this? And the point was that a lot of those players made to me is, yeah, I'm fine. Who's not fine is the dude on a minimum contract at the end of my bench who may only have a year or two in the league. This means a lot to him to make that money. And they're going to look at it as like, hey, if I can earn my guy there another 500K without that counting against the cap and hitting all of us in any kind of negative way, let's go. Let's get those guys that extra money. I've been in those locker rooms after games where a guy earned a bonus money and they celebrated like they won a title sometimes. That's one of the things where I think you will see people get competitive, but you're also going to have teams that are like, I don't really care about this. I know Adam Silver has modeled it off of European soccer and European basketball. What you see in, in Europe often with these teams is they don't take it real serious in the early rounds because it's if we get knocked out, we get knocked out. It's not our main thing anyway. But if, oh, wait, now we have a shot to win. All right, now we're going to go. We're going to play our guys. We're going to try to actually win this thing. And I think that's probably how a lot of these teams will treat it as well. It's kind of like the all-star game used to be. Yeah. Right. The first couple of quarters, you didn't really care. Then it's like, oh, wait, we have a chance to win this thing. Guys go hard. Yeah, absolutely. I think actually, speaking of All-Star, they're going to do the final four in Vegas, which is going to be interesting. That's the early reporting is that they'll have a round robin part of the tournament and then an elite eight. And then they all go for the final four, go to Vegas and the championship teams, basically the two teams that meet in the finals, they're going to have 83 games in the season, but it won't count towards their regular season total. So it's going to be like a free roll <laughs> in Vegas that they're just going to have a championship that's not going to add to the regular season standings. But if you're the winner, I guess you're kind of pacified by the fact that you get a nice check, but I would still want that win on the ledger. Real quick, I did some research. I'm folding it into this segment, but since the NBA went to an 82-game schedule in 1967, there have been 52 82-game seasons. I got rid of the lockout shortened season and the pandemic shortened season. Out of those 52 82-game seasons, there have been 35 all-NBA seasons that would have been disqualified due to not meeting that 65-game threshold. So hmm. it's about one and a half every two seasons. But recently though, there's been a whole bunch. If LeBron James was subject to this rule over the past, you know, five years or so, he would have lost three, four all NBA squads. There was four from Shaq, even excluding the lockout shortened seasons. Shaq had four seasons, which he would not met that 65 game threshold. And then those go to lesser, and I think John Hollinger wrote about this at The Athletic, those all-NBA appearances go to lesser quality players or lesser quality seasons. And this season, Jaron Jackson Jr. would not be eligible for Depoy. Joel Embiid would be sprinting to get across the finish line. Luka Doncic is at 64 right now. Damian Lillard would not qualify. Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard. In fact, if you looked at the eight active MVPs in the NBA right now, players who have won an MVP, only two of them this season would have been eligible for MVP again. That would be Nikola Jokic and Russell Westbrook would be eligible because they've already clinched that 65 game. So I actually think, Keith, 65 is a pretty high bar to clear looking at the last few seasons and how many games star players have missed. I don't know if there's a negative externality there or like an unintended consequence there. 
but I'm curious your thoughts on them landing at 65 versus say 60 or 70. Yeah. A lot of people I was talking to leading up to this when they were like, Hey, this is going to be part of it. This is going to be in there. One of the things that they mentioned was a lot of people thought they were going to land around 58 because that's roughly two thirds of the season. And that's where a lot of the voters that I know use that as their unofficial cutoff anyway of like, if you're not there for more than two thirds of the year, it's really hard for me to feel like you're fully impacting your team and the league. So I think we're into a spot with 65 that feels a little high to me. And that's where I wonder is the intention Hey, we set it at 65, but we're going to have these handful of qualifiers in there and the real number is going to slot 58-ish in that range because there'll be a handful of things we can knock out. And to the point that you guys made is I think what you're going to see, what we saw with Kawhi Leonard over the weekend, you're going to see a lot more teams say, all right, well, we got to get the guy in there on the back-to-back because he's got to hit the game threshold. So at halftime, we're punting. We're out. We're not even going to try to come back. We're just going to sit the guys and go. And that's going to be where it runs to. So that's unfortunate, right? That's not what we want ultimately out of this. So I think that's the unintended consequences. I think you may see some games, even if they're not you know, completely ridiculous as far as subbing them out five seconds in, you may see some games that are played weird. I love the example of Anthony Davis. The guy I instantly go to, this is just when I was really kind of coming into loving this league so much, was Irvin Johnson from the Sonics. That was how his night just worked, Mm. right? He played the first five minutes of each half, and then he might as well have gone home after the third quarter (laughs) and never come back in because that was just how the Sonics used him as a starting center. But we're going to see some weird stuff like that for sure. We did that with Jaron Collins in Phoenix in 2010. I remember that, yeah. When Robin Lopez got hurt, we didn't want to start Channing Fry because we liked the rhythm off the bench. So we started Jaron Collins and he would literally just start the halves and that was it. I got to admit, I'm really excited for next year when we're getting down to the wire and we're going to have undeserving people on the all NBA teams. (laughs) And we're going to have a defensive player of the year who didn't hit his threshold. And the MVP conversation is just completely screwed because you have to have a minimum to get in. It's going to be chaos. And the one who really wins is the media, as always. We're going <laughs> to clean up on this. I'll say what I think is going to be crazy with the 65 games. The first time we're right around this point in the year and a player gets sat and the player says, I probably could have played. And I'm just going to use him because he's prominently featuring in a lot of this stuff right now is Jalen Brown. If it was somebody like him and it was, hey, you cost me a shot at All-NBA and kept me out so you could keep my contract down. Mm -hmm. The screaming is going to be loud from the rooftops off those ones forever. Or the opposite, Keith. Someone who gets onto the All-NBA team but didn't necessarily deserve it, Mm -hmm. but now they're eligible for the Supermax. Can't wait, man. (laughs) Let's go. To me, that's what the issue is with that 65 game thing. It's written... To address this issue as if this issue is a player-generated issue. Exactly. The idea of guys not playing. And the reality is, not in every case, but in most cases, this is a team-based issue. Mm-hmm. So now, instead of incentivizing teams to play their guys, you just added another incentive to not play their guys. Like you said, whether it's a Jalen Brown issue or whatever, it's like, oh no, I don't want you doing this. That'll cost me more money that I'm not trying to pay. That, to me, is the unintended consequence that is looming large over all of this is that we wrote this rule as if the players are the ones asking out. And the reality is it's the teams, but the teams are the ones who are responsible 
paying those salaries. Keith, anything else that you want to hit on before you go or any other Walt Disney stories that you want to hit? (laughs) (laughs) I think the only other one I'll say unintended consequences on this is this goes back to what I said is some of the changes were good, but they didn't go far enough. The idea of the physicals at the draft combine. Oh, yes. That is good. But one question I have is, It's only going to be shared with the teams within that player's projected range. Whose projections are we using? Where are we getting those from? Are those going to be, we took an aggregate of the top five mock drafts out there, whatever (laughs) it is. I don't know how we're going to get to those ranges. And the other piece is, and aren't just guys just going to say, I'm not going to the combine? Just skip the combine. Yeah, it's the end of the combine. Yeah, I just won't go at all. They didn't solve that at all. No. It's tough because we also know we get these guys come in and what ends up happening so often with these players is we. I've asked teams after the fact, you know, I thought you guys were going to be in on this guy in the draft. Uh, we didn't have his medical. We can't draft them. We don't know what it looks like. So it felt too risky for a lottery pick or whatever it is. And then you end up with these guys coming into the league and sometimes they land in weird spots and they try to engineer where they're going. I don't know why we couldn't have made it. Hey, condition of you entering the draft is you're going to undergo an independent physical by someone chosen by the NBPA or board of doctors that they chose or whatever. Yeah. And then that's going to be shared with every team. That's just how it's going to be. And I'm guessing that was probably the give and take. And this is where we landed, right? Of, you know, hey, we'll give you some of them. The other, just because I think it's a very funny story is the one and done rule not changing. We heard about that a month or so ago that that wasn't going to be in there. So I asked people on both sides and both sides basically said, Nobody wanted this. And one of my good friends who worked through some of this negotiation said, it's like, hey, I mean, you want pizza? I want pizza. Let's fight about that. And it's like, wait, just order a pizza then. What are we doing? (laughs) And they were like, that was the easiest low-hanging fruit to grab. But both sides admitted Neither one wanted to be the bad guy in the media of like, we're not the ones that are pushing this through, right? NBA didn't want to be the evil corporate group telling these 18-year-old kids they can't have jobs. And the MBPA didn't want to be like, hey, we're prioritizing 35-year-olds over 18-year-olds. So it was, hey, let's just kind of leak it out in general. This isn't going to change. And then we can spin it as, well, NIL, these kids can make money and there's all these pathways now. Everybody's fine. We're all going to get rich in the end. When in reality, it's, come on, let's own it. You didn't want veterans losing jobs to 18 year olds and you didn't want to have to go scout some kid in a rural gym in vermont because you're terrified that well we have to see if he's a real player or not some owner's nephew saw him play and says he's six foot eight with a great handle and we show up and he's five foot eight and can't dribble and it's like well it is what it is we had to check it out anyway i love how he went with nephew and not what it is a lot more is an owner's son. Owner's son or the owner himself. Or the owner himself. You yeah. know, I was traveling through and saw this kid and I think he can play. And it's like, hey, I mean, you know, every year at NCAA tournament time, I tell the story of people on front office say the worst thing that can happen is an owner watches the NCAA tournament and falls in love with some kid who's not actually good and had a good few weeks. And it's like, oh, no. And they said the only thing worse is when it's a kid from their alma mater, because then, you know, we're oh. probably drafting him. <laughs> Yeah, how did Phoenix pass up Luka Doncic? I can't remember. It's another story (laughs) for another day. Oh, we can't risk drafting a high schooler and going to rural Arkansas to scout a guy like Kevin Garnett or Kobe Bryant or Dwight Howard or LeBron James. The number of hits on high school players is way longer than the number of misses. It's just a fact. You look at the most profitable in the sense of the draft, making an investment on a high school player or a freshman 
freshman player or a sophomore player or a junior or a senior, the one that has the best ROI on your investment is the high school guy. Because if you're declaring out of high school, chances are you are a generational talent. There are going to be some misses. There's going to be some exceptions to the rule, the Lenny Cooks of the world or whoever you want to throw in there. But I mean, it does feel like to me that the players who would be going into the draft aren't being represented on either side of the table. There's the players who are already NBA players and there's owners. But what about the 18 year olds who are like, I want to be an NBA player tomorrow. I'll be the piece of shit who will say it out loud. They're not here. You don't matter to kind of live off of Keith's pizza analogy. It's like we're ordering a pizza. I'm not polling the people who aren't here. <laughs> we're having the pizza here. If someone walks in and says, ooh, you guys got pizza. Can I have some? Sure. Grab what you can get. That's what we got. And that goes back to the combine stuff. Why are we protecting the people coming into the combine about measurements and all that stuff? Who cares? They're not here yet. When they get here, then they'll have rights and then we can figure out how to best take care of NBA players. But the reality is, Prior to draft day, they're not NBA players. They're just prospects. Can I make a quick prediction on this one? Yes, please. Get your crystal ball out, Keith. This is going to change, if not by the next CBA six years from now, probably sometime within the next decade. Maybe it's one of those side agreements that they come in and change. And I think when it changes is when they have enhanced the G League enough to be a real thing. And what they will do is, you can come in, but if you come in as an 18-year-old straight out of high school, you're going on an extra year added to your contract. But year one, you spend it in the minor league. Mm -hmm. And that's how they'll drive interest to, oh, I got to watch the main Celtics tonight because that kid is playing. And that will drive that interest by attaching them with removing some of that risk factor from the team, from yeah, we don't have to have them taking up one of our valuable 15 roster spots on our team. They're here. They're part of the Celtics, and maybe they can practice with the NBA team and those kind of things. But I think they're leaning towards everything I hear, everything you see them do. They're trying to make the G League a much more viable thing. Right. I think that will be the give and take on this is we're going to let some of these kids in. But the way we're going to let you in is your first year is spent in the minor leagues. Maybe that's you add a third round of the draft and it is, hey, you're only picking guys in this round that have to go to the G League. We're going to see draft reform and G League reform as we go, probably in conjunction, my guess is, with expansion. Because I also believe when they expand, which it's the worst kept secret in the league. It's coming as soon as the TV deal is done. Mm. I think we all know that's going to happen. And I think they're going to make a condition of expansion is you must have a G League team. There's no more Portland and Phoenix hanging out there with, yeah, we don't want one, so we're just not going to have one. It's going to be you have to, and they're going to force two upon those teams too with new ownership groups and the like. It'll be 30 full G League teams and off we'll go, and they're going to try to make that a much more viable thing and a pathway for developing young players if they want to skip out on college or whatever the other options are out there. That's Keith Smith of Spot Track, Celtics blog, front office show. You can follow him at Keith Smith NBA. That's K-E-I-T-H-S-M-I-T-H. In case you don't know how to spell Keith or Smith NBA. Keith, the godfather of the bubble, one of the smartest CBA follows and smartest NBA follows on the Twitter and in the NBA sphere. Thanks so much for joining us on the Basketball Illuminati podcast and being a truth teller on this program. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me.
tried to sneak under the radar with this CBA is the removal of any testing for marijuana. Maze, I need some sound effects here. I need a lighter lighting and then give me a little bong rip going. The Cypress Hill track starting up. Maybe even clip in half-baked the order for snacks that they have. Get some sour cream and onion chips with some dip, man. Some beef jerky, some peanut butter. Get some Haagen-Dazs ice cream bars, a whole lot of hot, make sure chocolate, gotta have chocolate, man. Some popcorn, bread popcorn, graham crackers. Get some Funyuns, man. What else can we clip in here? J.R. Smith. Was there a tree in the air in the bubble? Oh, yeah, it is going to tell okay. Well, yeah, it's the funny thing here is because they haven't been testing since the bubble, or at least as far as I know. Yeah. It's a win that isn't even a win. You're bringing back a win to the team, being like, hey, we got this thing. And they're like, well, didn't we already have that thing? But it's official, Tom. That's the difference. It's officially official. It's so obvious. But it's not all positive. Yeah. Because there's one thing that we'll never get to experience ever again. An unintended consequence, if you will. And I would just like to pour some bong water out yeah. mm-hmm. for the Stephen A. Stay off the weed rant. Who are you, Snoop Dogg in the green room? I mean, what what the hell is going on? You want to sit there and stay on the weed? We are giving the license to people to get high. Weed. You jeopardize all of that for some weed? Stay off the weed. Your livelihood, millions of dollars, and you can't stay off the weed? Really? Weed? Weed? Really? It's millions of dollars. And all you have to do is stay off the weed. And you can't do it because you want to smoke some weed? He ain't getting busted for using weed. Everything eviscerated, thrown away, confiscated, taken from you because you can't stay off the weed. Stay off the damn weed. How do I say goodbye to us? We have Happy Stephen A. Thank you, Bill Simmons. Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details.